Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. We're back with the conversational segment. Um, but before we get to that, um, and Raisa, um, we have a great interview coming up with, you know, with Amain Sean Wan, um, which would be a great one for all you fans of Suicide Squad. Um, and I know there are quite a few of all the uh, film's critics would have uh, have us believe otherwise, but that's 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 another point. But before we get to the interview with uh, Elaine Shanwan, who is the uh, actor behind Incubus, you know, he doesn't say much in the movie, but, you know, he makes quite a big statement. <laughs> um, we're going to get on to our TV segment uh, with Risa. Risa, welcome back to the show. Oh, hello, Ian. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been decades. Yes. You know, it's been eons. Sorry, I'm, I'm playing on my name now. Eons. Eons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, that's cool. Um, so, how you been? I've been good. I've been good. Okay, well, um, we've got quite a bit to discuss. Um, you know, you know what's happened since uh, since since we've not been having the conversation segment. We've uh, had an entire season of Musketeers mm. come and go. The last season of Musketeers, and we've had um, some pretty big Star Trek announcements for the uh, for the new TV series. So, um, which do you want to go with first? Uh, let's work. Let's do Trek first because we've got the um, the most to get through with that one. I think. Okay, Captain's Log, <laughs> Star Aid. Um, <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we found out that we we before before we broke, we knew that Brian Fogel was behind it. Yes. And uh, Nicholas Meyer was an an executive, a consulting producer, I think, on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we now have um, we've now seen the ship, which kind of looks like um, a cross between a Klingon warbird and a target seat. Mm-hmm. And although I, I've read an article that that isn't the final ship, um, they've still got some tweaking to do. I think I read. Yeah, I got I got a feeling that that was the final ship. But what happened is uh, when they got everyone's reaction to it, they sort of like panicked. Went, oh no. <laughs> Um, but then again, it might, you know, it's actually, uh, it's very closely related to one of the, uh, who's a conceptual artist for Star Wars? It's Ralph McQuarrie. Uh-huh. It's yes. actually, um, it looks very similar to some of the concept art that Ralph McQuarrie did for the, for the 1970s Star Trek the motion picture. Or was it yeah. the Phase 2 series? It looks similar to that. Um, mm. I kind of, I don't think it's that bad. I didn't think it was that bad either. I, you know, I thought it was actually pretty good. I mean, you know, so like, um, it's functional. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you can, you know, you can sort of like manufacture target seat covers that look just like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll be workable. But 
you know, in all honesty, I'm joking aside, it didn't look that bad, you know, so like it kind of like looks like a cross between Enterprise and um, and the Klingon Warbird. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you would kind of understand how it could be a hybrid, you know, in, in, the, in the days, it's, it's supposed to be set um, between Enterprise and the original series. Mm, it's actually, so you can understand, yeah. yeah, it's actually set 10 years before Kirk's time. Um, okay. Which um, which was which has just come out recently, and uh, we found out that the um, that the actual storyline, the the entire storyline for this first season, which is going to be thirteen episodes, is going to centre on uh, on a female character. She's a lieutenant commander. That's right, because um, they, they made a big deal about the fact that it wasn't going to be a captain for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be interesting. It, it, w- it will be interesting, and you know, to be honest, it's all like be, be interesting because you're following someone's journey who's all like um, kind of like caught between being in the command crew, but also caught between the lower decks as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, although you're gonna have, it's gonna be interesting to see how long it is before something happens to the captain and she and she takes over for the captain. Um. Yeah, but that, that's only if that's only if Brian Funger goes with the predictable trope of doing that. Mm. Because that, to be honest, the fact that you've come up with that uh, in the spur of the moment just just pretty much goes to show how predictable that sort of storyline would be. Yes, you know. Um, so you kind of got to ask yourself whether to do that. But what he's, what he's also said is he's also said that his storyline is going to be it's going to be centered on one uh, one particular element of Starfleet history, which was referenced once in Star Trek: The Original Series. Which you know it could be anything. Well, it could be Axanar, for all you know. It's it's not going to be Axanar. Okay. Yeah, because he's, he's already he's, he's said that it's not going to be Axanar. It's not going to be the Romulan War. Um. And it's not, you know, it's not going to be, um, said it's not going to be something else as well. I can't remember what the other thing what it said. It says. It said, it, you know, it won't be anything to do with Section 31, but Section 31 may have a role to play. I was most excited by the fact that um, Amanda Grayson, Spock's mother, might be a featured character. Mm-hmm. Which... So. Which is which is also interesting because that's actually an original series trope. Um, now, if Amanda Grayson's going to have a have a role in it, um, how much of a leap would it be that we're not going we're going to bump into Sorek as well? Yes, and I would I would love to bump into Sorek. Although, if they cast Sorek, they're going to have to cast someone who can pull off the role as well as Mark Leonard did, and as well as uh, Ben. Ben, Cross did ben when Cross, he was recast. Yeah. So I gotta say, Ben, if we can't if we can't have Mark Leonard, Ben Cross was a really good substitute. And um, while I have my issues with the with the rebooted timeline, uh, the casting of those roles is not one of those issues. Mm-hmm. So they've got to they've got to find someone who did it at least as well as Ben Cross did. Well, hopefully, and hopefully as well as Mark Leonard did. They so. could they could potentially get Ben Cross because um, I don't think he's doing that much. Be honest. No, and he's done TV before because he was uh, he's he's done he, he did back in the nineties. He, he did a short-lived reboot of Dark Shadows, which I watched. Mm-hmm. He also did it. He also did quite a few TV miniseries back in the eighties. Um, you know, he's mostly being a film actor, but he's always been sort like there and thereabouts, um, popping up in in all sorts of things as a character actor. 
Yeah, I th- yeah. I think I actually seen him in a in, in a television adaptation of Riverworld at some point. Not the not the sci fi one. Oh, another one. Okay. Um, it's another one. I think it was probably another sci fi one, or it was one that aired on sci fi over here. It might have been mm. made by Hallmark or someone. I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? You, why not bring him back into play? Sorry, it's so like it's 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 part that he's you no know, the fans like him. So yes, yeah, you know. Um, but that'd be another one. But do you know who I'd like to see pop up in it? Who? Captain Robert April. Blanking the very very first commander of the Enterprise before before Christopher Pike. The, in, in, in Gene Roddenberry's original song like story for Star Trek, the captain was called Captain Robert April. Oh, okay, that's news to me. And okay. he has actually popped up in 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 the uh, in in the Trek timeline before. He popped up one in an episode of the uh, Star Trek the animated series. Cool. Um, but he he commanded the Enterprise before before Captain Pike, before Christopher Pike. So I think it'd be cool to actually have you know may, may, maybe song like. They could even have the discovering in cut with the Enterprise at some point under com- under command of Captain Robert April. That would that would be cool. That yeah, would be cool. You know, that that that'd be pretty cool. Um, I know it might you know it might be um, problematic because um, in in one of one of the books from Pocket Books they they did 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 a story with Captain Robert April, um, and Captain Kirk's dad was his um, was his first officer. Oh. So that's okay. So that's where they got some of the Kelvin storyline for the new. Probably, ones. Most probably, yeah. But you know, based on Captain Kirk's dad was in Starfleet. He was um, he, he was Robert April's first officer. Um, although um, we never found out in the original series timeline what happened to Kirk's dad, whether he, whether, you know, whether he died or or whatnot. So, well, whatever uh, happened, Kirk ended up on. Um, this, this, on, on on that planet work with Chronos uh, the Executioner. Ah, now so, you know what? I'm wondering if that could be the storyline. I would love it, um, but then that would require them to get somebody really good to play Kodos, mm-hmm. um, because um, Arnold Voss, who played Kodos in the uh, in the original series, was a uh, was a stage and radio actor. Uh, he was a he was a no kidding around actor. And uh, and Roddenberry was smart enough to realize that he was going to need a no kidding around actor for that role, mm. and so that they're going to have to they're going to have to find someone who can convey you know not not just campy whack job but someone who someone who buys his own hype and actually believes that he's doing the right thing for that. I've got it. William Shatner as Kodos the Executioner. You know that would be that would be wonderfully meta. <laughs> <laughs> Although personally, well, I think we've had this discussion before. Um, I'm underwhelmed by the rebooted timeline, but the one thing I want from them now is to is to go double meta and have uh, and have Patrick Stewart as Kodos the Executioner. That work, you know, for so they could so they so they could get both, you know, so that he could just do the whole Shakespearean gravitas thing. Yeah, and, the, and, and then be d- doubly meta about it. They could give him hair as well, you know, yes. make him wear a hairpiece so he doesn't look like Picard. Yes, you know, and he's, and he's done that before because he actually went bald very early in life and spent most of his career um, going with and without toupees. Mm-hmm. So I, I, actually, I actually seen a bit of archive footage uh, some time back. Uh, we got a soap here called Coronation Street, mm-hmm. which I 
absolutely hate, can't abide it, but I'm interested in the history of television. It's kind of one of my little side things. Mm-hmm. And there was a documentary about history Coronation Street to uh, commemorate its 50th anniversary. Um, it was on a few years back, and uh, they shown a scene of Patrick Stewart when he when he had a brief appearance in Coronation Street, and he was playing a he was playing a fireman. Oh my god! He, he was sort of like decked out as a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh, wow. really freaky to see him, you know. It was an old black and white episode. It was really freaky seeing him decked out as a firefighter. It's just really oh, strange. Um, but yeah, that, that, that'd be brilliant, you know, as Kodos the Executioner. And I, I was going to suggest John DeGancy as well. Would... He would also work. He would also work. Um, the, the interesting thing about the rebooted timeline is because things played out the way they did, Kirk didn't end up... Uh, on on uh, Talos Four or whatever whatever no no that, that's the wrong planet. Well, whatever the planet was called, anyway, you know, we'll yeah, go into specifics. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. But yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, but you know, with this being in the prime timeline, they could do that. They, they, they could, could probably do that. It's just uh, because basically in the in the original timeline, Kirk is youngest youngest um, officer to ever make captain. Yes. Um, and he did that in the context of whatever the hell went wrong back there, because mm-hmm. he was one of the few survivors. Which means, and he, we know he has a brother because we meet the brother in another episode. Mm-hmm. So he and his family managed to get the hell out of Dodge and survive whatever that was. And beyond the conscience of the king, they never dealt with it. And yet they're they're talking about partial genocide of an entire population. That's not the kind of thing you can just gloss over. So they, there should be a point at which, at least in the prime timeline, where they actually deal with it. Yeah, and it's... it's Whatever that was. It, it's kind of doable as well, because, uh, you know, let's say, you know, Kirk, when, when he was on that planet, he was, a, he was a teenager, wasn't he? Yes, yes. So let's assume that he was 16, for example. Yes. Uh, they get him out. They get him out there. He sort of like uh, bums around for maybe about a year. Joins Starfleet. Does four years at Starfleet, and then 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 sort of like in, then he bums around for another six years, moving up the ranks. You know, serving on 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 the various different ships they served on um, mm-hmm. to become captain, sort of thing. So it's actually quite doable and quite believable because by the time he's taking command of the um, of the Enterprise in the original series. He's supposedly so like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, he in fact I think one of the one of the episodes, the episode where they age prematurely, mm-hmm. he mentions that he's thirty five. So assume that when he takes command of the, the enterprise he's thirty three, thirty four. Mm-hmm. Oh, we could we could assume that the first mission, you know, the first time we do see him in, in um, where no man has gone before, that pilot, that second pilot. Um, in in that second pilot, we don't know how long he's been aboard that ship. Yeah, you know, he, he, they never actually say. No, they never actually say. So he, he could have been serving aboard the ship for about eighteen months, two years. By that point, we we, we there's no way we could possibly know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like, there's, there's all sort there's all sorts of things could do with it. You know, I'm, I'm quite excited. Yeah. To see, yeah. see what's going to happen. I'm quite excited by the fact that it's telling one story over 13 episodes as well. Yeah, yeah. That'll, because the only time, the only time they, they tried that twice. Once was the um, once with Deep Space Nine, and once with the latter stages of Enterprise. 
Um, actually, it's the third season of Enterprise when Ordeal Dionne Ward is Indy. Oh, that's right, that's and right. Then, then in the fourth season, it really, really improved and upped its game. And we, we had we had sort of like uh, several story arcs spread over three episodes, and then there was a new arc. So I've been recently watching, been revisiting Enterprise, and I've been revisit, I revisited season season four first. Mm. And, you know... I was quite surprised how, because it's the first time I've seen it since watching it initially back in 2005, mm. when it came out, and I was quite surprised how much I was enjoying it, uh, given that at the time it wasn't really regarded that much, but the fourth season really did knock it out of the park, it really did feel like Star Trek. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the episode on Vulcan, where we where we got to meet T'Pau. Yes. And, yes, you know, that was cool. That that was pretty well done, and it sort of like it sort of like cleaned up. It explained why the Vulcans were not like the Vulcans that we knew, and yes. that that restarted that, and you know because that that had been pretty inconsistent. So it kind of retconned things back to where they where they should have been, really. And um, we also got the uh, the explanation for why the Klingons didn't have ridges on their their foreheads in the uh, in in the toss area as well. Mm. Um, and you know, and I just thought that for that that fourth season of Enterprise was really good. Mm. You know, um, they they could have done it. They could have done it even more of a service by just getting rid, rid of Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and getting Manny Cote over on things. <laughs> you know, yeah. But, but it'll be cool to see what Brian Fonger does. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that he's got he's got full creative freedom on the show. Well, the sense of putting it on a streaming service. Um, I would hope that they've st- taken the blinkers off. Mm-hmm. So. We well, do know that it's going to be on ABC for you guys, the, the ABC on Access channel, but for us in the UK, it's going to be on Netflix. CBS, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be on Netflix here. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking forward to it. And uh, moving on to sorry, something... Um, oh, actually, the, the name, Star Trek Discovery. Yes. A bit unfortunate, isn't it? It's 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 too on the nose. You know, STD, mm, where every oh, man has been that. before. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's just a little bit un- unfortunate. The abbreviation. The abbreviation is unfortunate, and and discovery is unfortunate, just in itself, just because it's a little too on the nose. Mm. I mean, they could they could I mean, they they just as could have easily named it Star Trek Rediscovery. Mm. <laughs> oh, Star Trek Explorer. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I think think Microsoft probably would have sued him for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but moving on now to Musketeers, we just had the uh, final season. Yeah, I actually uh, really liked. I really liked the final season, but not for the same reasons you did. Um, I was less enthusiastic about the social commentary simply because I'm kind of over allegory, uh, just mm. uh, just on a subjective level at this point. Uh, but putting that aside, um, I really liked the nods to actual history. They were they were compositing and conflating like mad because of these events were actually taking place over years uh, in 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 the actual history. But allowing allowing for the conflation, um, they got a lot of actual history in there. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I like the uh, like the, the the social commentary and the allegory. In, in, in the series is because in the UK that's actually what's needed right now mm. um, you know because we've got a bunch of right wing one percenters running the country mm. and 
you know, song icon, and and there's a lot of injustice. So uh, the reason I like the social commentary aspect of it was because it's running that di- it's running directly parallel with a lot of things that have been happening in um, the UK over, over here too. But my my issue, and again, this goes to just subjectives, is that um, as an English major, I actually studied allegory under the hood, and so mm-hmm. I was over allegory by my early twenties. Mm-hmm. I just just structurally, so oh look, and I was like, oh cute allegory. Moving on, you know. Um, I, I didn't really need it, uh, and I've, I've gotten to the point where I need it even less so. But that, like I said, that's that's purely subjective. Uh, from your point of view, I totally get it. And we and over here in the U.S., um, we 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 need it for the same reasons because we're dealing with our own variation of this idiocy. <clears throat> um, but yeah. Um, the allegory from a purely structural standpoint was extremely effectively done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked it on that level. Um, I liked, I liked the fact that, um, that, uh, Aramis's ending was sort of a, uh, sort of a, a, um, a conflation of book Aramis and Mazarin, mm-hmm. uh, because, um, the scuttlebutt, the historical scuttlebutt, is that Mazarin was actually the, the father of Anne's children. Uh-huh. So, to ha- and then um, Aramis in the books is the only one of the musketeers who actually survives, and he ends up becoming the um, the Richelieu slash Mazarin version of himself mm-hmm. within the original continuity. So, I kind of really appreciated Aramis's ending out yeah. of all of them. Well, they must have all lived for quite a while in the books. I, I never read all the books. I only really read the first two. Uh, I read the first one and the last one, um, mm. the original Musketeers book, and um, and the original, uh, and then the, the last one in the series, which was actually The Man in the Iron Mask. There are a couple in the middle that you don't actually need because uh, Dumas was a fool for exposition. I mean, just stupid amounts of exposition mm-hmm. and because he was serializing these things in magazines initially. And as a result, the two books in the middle get regurgitated in Man in the Iron Mask. And so by the end of Man in the Iron Mask, you, you basically know everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting is in the books, Aramis actually manages to get Porthos killed um, due, to, due to his um, cardinal-like machinations. Mm-hmm. It's rather, it's actually rather impressive. So Aramis's ending is the one I appreciated. I appreciated the um, the uh, full circle irony of Milady de Winter's relationship with the Queen by the end. Yep, that was awesome. Um, and and did come into her own as regent, although she had to step down when he when uh, when Louis came of age. She was an effective regent, mm-hmm. although she spent a lot of time being effective around. Um, various relatives in trying to foment civil war, which they sort of touched on in that final season as well. They, yeah, they sort of was, ab- ab- abbreviated that whole thing because she yeah. was using Aramis as a as a messenger to try and try and prevent it, to try and keep the peace. Yeah, and she and she and Mazarin historically uh, had to deal with um, the, the Duke of Orleans and a whole bunch of other people who were just for a period of about four years. Um, were the, the final season in in real historical context plays out over like four years, and uh, they have to deal with a lot of a lot of crap because there were you know uh, people vying for the throne who just were not going to accept her as regent and, and Louis as heir, 
But, you know, Mazarin, Anne and Mazarin finally managed to get that sorted out after about four years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they, but again, these historical shows always conflate that kind of stuff. Um, within, within that conflation, within the context of the narrative they were presenting, they did it rather effectively. Um, I was a bit, I was a bit pissed off that I got Constance Nip. Yeah, you but know, then if, they were, if, they, if, they, if they were true to the books, a lot of more people would have died generally. I mean, I was quite happy for them to keep her around for the for the uh, for the third season, but let's face it: in the third season, she didn't really do much other than mess up. Yeah, like yeah. you know, she she treated that guy without asking him, you know, any questions. Uh, you know, the, I forget his name, the uh, the the arch villain of the piece uh, that. The, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on his yeah. name too now. Yeah, well, but uh, you know, she kind of gets, she kind of, you know, treats him without asking any questions. You know how he got his wound and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm thinking, really, you know, yeah, you know, if that's if that's the way she's going to act, why did you just not kill her off in the second season? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so like um, that. You know, the whole becoming uh, Madame D'Artagnan sort of thing. It, it, that, that that aspect of it didn't really work for me. No, but they need they needed to re- they needed to resolve the star-crossed lovers thing, which I hated. I hated um, all of that. But I'm I'm not a fan of the soap opera elements, so I was just actually glad that they were not doing at least more of the star-crossed lovers crap. Mm-hmm. So you know that was a relief, even if you're right, they didn't use her as effectively as they could have. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that Rupert Everett. Uh, did really really well. He did uh, uh, as uh, as the as the uh, the uh, Marquis de Ferrand, the, the governor. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought I thought they actually wrote him really cleverly. Yes. because he was sort of like uh, at first glance he's, he's a cripple, he's quite sort of like vulnerable, and you're kind of wondering, uh, you know, what sort of harm can this guy do? But by the same time, over over the period of a few episodes, you learn exactly just what a master manipulator he is. Yeah, and they and they went into Richard the Third territory for that, but that's okay. I mean, um, Rupert Everett pulled it off really, really well, and I Rupert Everett is one of those played it as as um, I saw shades of um, Richelieu mm-hmm. with with um, Ferrand. Um, that I that I hadn't seen since we actually lost Richelieu, so it was, it was quite it was quite a good callback, mm-hmm. even if it was unintentional. Yeah, I have to, I have to say the, the biggest problem they had was they had to survive the loss of Capaldi, and they did that by the skin of their teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they 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 did, and I think to be honest, um, one one things I think they made a bit of a mistake in doing was um, tail end of season two, kicking off the villain from that um, because. He he was good. He was good. Mark Warren pulled Mark Warren pulled that storyline out of the fire because that storyline in itself was not brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, they they basically they basically turned a historical rumor into a soap, and not as effectively as they could have. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Simon Allen with this final season, he's 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 done a better job because I think it was it was definitely a stronger season than season two. Yeah, um, maybe even season one. Probably overall, you're right. Although I think I think season two, we have to cut them some slack because they were. We cannot underestimate the loss of Capaldi, and not just the loss of Capaldi, but the fact that they had built from based on based on articles. I remember reading when season one was coming out, they had built an arc around Richelieu. Mm-hmm. They had they had planned to keep him. 
And so to suddenly lose Richelieu because Richelieu is Doctor Who now, um, I think just apart from anything else, they spent most of season two recovering from the shock. Aye, I mean, sorry. And, 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 uh, and so I think all things considered, season two was a great deal more coherent than it could have been. Um, but Mark Warren really, really helped with that. Um, but you're right, this season was the strongest since season one and arguably stronger even than season one. Mm. I mean, it, it would have been interesting to have seen, you know, what Capaldi could have done had they carried it on with him. But by the that's same said, time... That's that's a, a, it's a catch-22 because historical Richelieu died around the time they killed off Capaldi. He only lived to be about as old as Capaldi was mm-hmm. at the point they killed off Richelieu on the show. And then it was Mazarin that took over. And then it was Mazarin. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were going to run into problems even if they had kept him because the historical purists were going to go, what the fuck? You know, and because I was going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't know a lot about French history, but I knew enough to know that they were not following the blueprint. Yeah, I mean, so, the, one, the one thing I want to ask you very quickly is, in the book, you say that they all die except for Aramis. Yes. Um, did they all die in The Man in the Iron Mask? Because I've never actually read the book, Man in the Iron Mask. I've only ever seen the film. They, by the end, they all die except for Aramis. And the mm. only reason Aramis survives is because he's morphed into the, the Maserat version of himself, and he basically... He basically finagles survival. <laughs> so he basically um, plays politics. He plays politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he plays politics gets Porthos killed, but it keeps him alive. And um, But given the context, you kind of can't blame Aramis because, hey, he survived. And it was a very hard time to survive in. Um, Athos uh, dies in a soap opera plot involving his son and the king's mistress, and uh, who was a historical figure, and it just it that that was kind of interminable to me. Yeah, um, I think they tried to uh, they tried to do that, do a little bit of that Atos Atos storyline in the um, in the third Richard Nestor Musketeers movie with Michael mm-hmm, York and Oliver yeah. Reed. They, you know, because they basically did, didn't did, didn't his son go off to war in 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 the books or his his son went off to war. Uh, and ended up dying, and Athos dies of a broken heart. Mm. And the son is the son of Athos's second wife, because he actually manages to find love a second time after Milady, and they make a big deal about that. And the second wife dies. I think it was in childbirth. Mm. And it's just Athos and his son. And his son ends up in this disastrous love affair with um, Louis's real life with a fictionalized version of Louis's real life mistress, um, and it just it goes to hell in this like soap opera plot that I just did not enjoy. Um, but Dumas was going for straight up tragedy with the Musketeers. He wasn't even bothering to pretend it was anything other than straight up old school tragedy. And as a result of it, um, everybody but, but Aramis ends up dead. Damn. <laughs> So, so while you're complaining about the fact they didn't kill off Constance, be thankful they didn't follow the books because then it would have been Blake Seven. Because <laughs> basically, that's what we got in the books. I, I think they should have just followed the books and killed them all off, except for Aramis. I think they should have gone for that. You know, they could have, and we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, 
Maybe someone will do that in at some future date with a with 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 Musketeers movie series or something. But I I think they should actually go for it and so like do, do, do something as close to the books as possible, but yeah. take out, take take as much of the soap soap operish elements out of it as possible as oh, well. Oh, the, the soap stuff was insane. I didn't even I didn't even like the soap stuff in the first one. That whole all of that crap with Milady. It's like okay, I get it. Can we move mm-hmm. on now? Yeah, you know. <laughs> She, um, she, she, she cut my heart out with a spoon. God yeah. damn it! <laughs> yeah, and and um, yeah, and it's just it's insane. Okay, and, well, um, so if we just give it marks out of ten for the entire third season, I would I would give it uh, eight point five to nine. Yeah, probably around about the same. You know. Um, um, I know that a lot of the uh, a lot of the online fans are probably saying, "Oh, I'll give it a 10. Oh, I'm drooling over Aramis because oh, like I've, I was been looking at various Twitter feeds, and Aramis has got quite a large female fan base. It's unbelievable. Well, that's, that's Santiago Cabrera for you. So. <laughs> Tell me about it. He's 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 a freaking nature bless. Um, <laughs> um, the one thing I wanted to say is I was very impressed by Trivial. In terms of in terms of the adaptations, Treville was actually my favorite Musketeer. Yeah, um, so he, his his death scene in that next to last episode was. I mean, that's how you want a character to go out. Yep, that was awesome. Yeah, I was um I was actually quite near to tears when that happened, <laughs> and, that, and yes. I'm not I, I'm not moved to tears easily. But when that happened, I was quite near to tears. I, I thought. God damn it! To kill my mentor. Yeah, they, <laughs> you know? and, and Hugo. I gotta say, Hugo Spears was very underrated in the course of that entire series. He played that role to perfection. Mm-hmm. And um, I and while Aramis is my favorite from the books and my favorite Musketeer in terms of the main four, I have to I have to give a shout out to true to Hugo Spears Trudeau mm-hmm. because his arc from beginning to end was really really good. Really, yeah. Really good. Okay, so uh, we'll say um, eight five or nine five out of ten for, for yeah. Musketeers. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, moving on to something else now. Um, you know, um, I, I sent you uh, my my old DVDs of uh, a certain show from nineteen ninety three. Yes, the Adventures of Briscoe County mm-hmm. Junior. Yep. I am loving it. <laughs> Yeah, and sort of like it's um, as I said, it's it's very old school. It was even old school back then. Um, yes, was... which is why it didn't survive. And I have to say, um, having read um, Cuse's plans for season two, if they had been renewed, I'm actually glad they weren't renewed because mm-hmm. his plans for season two sounded stupid. Well, I'm quite I'm, I'm quite amazed that it was actually a Cow and Coos production. It was sort of like one of the it must have been one of his you know very early ones because so sort of like obviously we we know him more for things like Lost and Lost, yeah, and stuff like that. But yeah, it was a it was it was a great show. Had some you know had some great characters. You know, you had Bruce Campbell. As cool. as I I didn't realize how underrated he is as an actor until I saw him in this because he's got he's got range. Oh, he's, he's he's always had range. It's just that I think what it is is he, he's become known as a bit of a cartoon ring for the uh, for the for the for the character of Ash. Mm. Um, but that said, when 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 he did Ash in those in those films, he, he, you know he was so like doing it for laughs. He was so like he was, he'd never acted before in his life before he did that. Mm. And you could that tell. explains it. Explains he it. He learned as he went. He kind of learned as he went. You know, he could tell. But um, I remember him playing the Master Thief on Xena. Oh, 
Yes, Autolycus. That was fun. I remember that too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that so. was fun. That was actually the first thing I saw him in because I I hadn't actually watched the Evil Dead movies until some point during the Xena period. Mm-hmm. And I saw them exactly backwards. I th- saw the third one first, and that's actually still my favorite of, his, of the original series. Yeah, but the um, but the role of Brist Bristol Junior. I thought he was really good in that. Yes, and he um, and I was reading interviews, and and Bruce Campbell said that Briscoe County Junior is actually his favorite role mm-hmm. of, of the ones that he's gotten to play. So. I, I can see why. I mean, it's all like uh, you know, he, he's a cowboy, and he's basically he's in 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 in, in the context of things. Uh, Bristol County Junior is pretty much a man's man. <laughs> yes, know? and it's... I love the fact that he actually unapologetically wears spurs, and you can hear them jingle in every one of his scenes as he mm-hmm. walks. You know, it's it's just it's wonderful. It's wonderful, yeah. and, and I love because I'm because I'm the audience for that kind of thing. I love that Comet the horse is in the, is in the credits. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I love the fact that he's you know that his horse walks it pretty much walks into every building that he walks into. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually had four different comets, and Bill that uh, Bill does one comet, but it actually took four <laughs> horses to do everything that Comet had to do. Yeah. Um, but that, I'm, I'm the audience for that, so I really appreciated that. Yeah, his horse is named after bloody Sa- one of Santa's reindeer. <laughs> Go oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> did you not? Do you not? Do you not yeah, catch? You, yeah, you did yeah. catch that reference, did you? Comet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I also, I also love the fact that you get this cavalcade of character actors in in guest and recurring roles, mm-hmm. and to, to see the uh, the John Aston in his later years, yeah, as um, the professor was just. Awesome. Mm, and David Warner. David Warner, yeah. Um, who, who nails everything he's in, Wes, because he's just one of those guys who does that. Yeah, and we even got uh, a younger Denise Crosby. Yes. Um, yeah, I yeah, I had I had forgotten that she got around a lot in the nineties. Um she she managed to parlay the not on Star Trek into a number of, 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 of guest appearances around that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the famous one in that. Uh, do you remember that Red Shoes Diaries that David Duchovny used to introduce? It was basically uh, vaguely. Uh, I think I only watched a little bit of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I only I only watched a little bit of it. Um, I basically fast forwarded through the rest, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she she uh, she did an episode of that. Um, which was, you know, I kind of thought, oh my god, Denise Crosby's gone from doing Star Trek to porn. <laughs> yeah, I bless her heart. It's it's a catch twenty two because at the time she was underutilized, um, and the role mm. wasn't what she hoped it would be. By the same token, she should have stayed. Yeah, yeah, I, I got to wonder what would have happened had she stayed. I mean, so basically, Worf might have been written out had she stayed. Yeah. Because, you know, he was sort of like her second in command in, in, in the series. And, you know, it's uh, it would have been interesting to see, see Star Trek Next Generation had she, she stayed around. But that said, her final episode of Star Trek Next Generation still gets me to this day. Yes. You know, yes. So like, with Arnus, the pit. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> People complained that it was a random death, and I'm like, dude, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. That was the whole point. Mm-hmm. You know, that that some sometimes it just goes to hell, and you can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I like the fact that they they used the fact that it was a random death in the episodes when they brought her back. You know, in the time travel episode of yesterday's Enterprise. And I I have to say I also appreciated. Um, her half Romulan daughter Sila. Um, that was that was a soap trope, but it was a well executed soap trope. Yeah, it was kind of like uh, waking up in the shower and finding that it was all a dream. But there we go. 
but yeah, you know, Bristol County, you know, I, I kind of like Noah Bonger. He's awesome. He's, he's awesome. He's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've I've read I've read fan commentary that have called him a, a Mr. T ripoff, and there's some truth to that. But you know what? He was exactly what they needed. Yeah, but it's Mr. T with brains. <laughs> Come yes. <on>. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Mr. T at the end of the day is just all male ego. Yeah. Because um, I've seen him, I've seen him interviewed. <laughs> it's not like this. Uh, you know, there's not there's not much there. Mm. Um. Although, um, if he was in the room with me right now, he'd probably beat the crap out of me, but yes. <laughs> there isn't much there. Yes. And so like, I think Lord Bogle is sort of like, um, maybe what, what, what Mr. T could have been. Yes. You know, because he's a little bit more educated and, and stuff like that, but he's, he's just sort of like, he's so funny. He's such a dry, mm-hmm. he's got such a dry sense of humour and that I've, I've just kind of enjoyed the, uh, the interplay between him and Bristol throughout throughout the whole series. Yeah, and I gotta say, Billy Drago is why. Mm-hmm. Um, it, t- it took me a little bit to get used to his performance because he's playing it slightly camp, mm-hmm. but but only if you squint. But it it is there, and um, I one of the problems I think they had in the nineties was people just weren't used to a villain like that. They're part and parcel now, mm-hmm. but I just don't I don't think they were used to you know somebody was trying to be a little more layered about it. Yeah, but you know that that said, you know you could actually you could actually say that you know in the old MacGyver series, Murdoch is kind of camp. He is, he is. You know, but um, there are layers there. There are layers there. There are layers there, yeah, and part part of that came from the fact that uh, Michael DeBar, in and around being an actor, was also a, a rock god. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, he he was channeling he was channeling the uh, the rock scene from the seventies and eighties in that role as well. So. Mm. But yeah, it's so like uh, Bristol County then, uh, marks out of ten. Um, I haven't seen the whole series yet, but I would I would call it um, I would call it an eight point five based on what I've seen. An eight point five, mm, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I I'd probably give it a ten because it's so old school. It's just so like yeah, I, big. I, I I'll probably end up giving it close to a ten once I get to the whole thing. But based on what I've seen, probably eight point five. Like I don't know what I ha- I don't know what I've missed yet. Mm-hmm. So, so I want to, you know, hold something back until I've seen the whole thing. But I'll probably give it a ten, like you have. Yeah, you probably re-watch. You probably rewatch more of it than I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I left off on like episode eleven or twelve. Damn, I'm, you know, I'm so like, uh, you know, I'm still on my on my my original copy here. I'm still on probably episode three. <laughs> I've just not got that far out. I think the last well, one I'd seen was one with Denise Crosby actually. Mm, that's because you have less time than I do. <laughs> Um, prob- probably, yeah, I'm always writing shit for this <laughs> damn site and stuff. But yeah, it's, um, I, 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 I just like it. It's, it's just a really fun show. And it's also interesting to see, um, you know, see, see Bruce Campbell in a, in a, in, in a role prior to a uh, burn notice and, and yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's good for me because I actually missed it the first time around. Um, yeah, I and I'm actually I'm sorry I did now because had I actually watched it, it would have been a show I watched. Yeah, I mean it was 1993. Um, you know, kind of I, I'm kind of interested to know what was you watching at that time that you you actually had the audacity to miss Bristol County <laughs> because um, I I caught it on British television when it was on. That's why that's why I went out of my way to get the DVD for myself. I think I think what happened was I saw that it was a western and I just wasn't in the mood for a western because ah. with the exception of Wild Wild West, um, 
I think we talked about this before, with the exception of Wild Wild West, I just never took to Westerns. Because um, mm-hmm. most of it was because I actually lived in Arizona. And so Westerns were not the exotic affair that they are for people who live in other parts of the world. Because <laughs> like someone, I would look at a Western and go, oh, look, you know, the Sonoran Desert. You know, I, I can see that a couple hours out from where I live. Oh, cool. Tumbleweed. <laughs> tumbleweed. <laughs> and it's like, and I've, I've actually seen tumbleweeds, and they're weeds and they tumble. Mm-hmm. And that's about all. And, you know, so I, I, look, at, I look at the Westerns, you know, and they're, they're trying to, you know, big them up as this, you know, massive, massive, otherworldly thing, and I'm like, um, not so much. Yeah, it's yeah. a desert, some cactus, and some tumbleweeds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like it's like it's like me as an anglophile gush, gushing over shows that are filmed in Bristol because I'm watching them because I'm watching them on BBC America, and you're like, dude, I, I live there. God, everything's filmed in Bristol. <laughs> it's not like it's crazy. You know, actually, you get, you know, we got some stuff filmed in, in, in Salford uh, here in Manchester now and stuff like that. Mm. But pretty much everything else, if it's not set in the northwest, is actually shot in Bristol. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, Casualty, for example, it's one of our longest running medical soaps. It's been going since 1986. Oh, wow. It, sh- it, it was shot in Bristol for years. Uh, but moved to Cardiff a couple of years ago. Well, everything's moving to Cardiff now. Yeah, that's the everything's kind of moved from Bristol to Cardiff because they've got a big filming complex there because of Doctor Who and this and that. And, yeah. You know, so um, everything that used to be filmed in Bristol is probably now in Cardiff. <laughs> like, um, so it's 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 just crazy. Um, whereas the only thing that's probably filmed in Manchester is... Um, uh, the, a few of the knife things, knife events are filmed in Manchester and and, and stuff like that. Um, mm. Coronation Street is filmed in Manchester. Mm. Um, all, all the actors in Coronation Street they pick them up. You know, a majority of them they get from the Oldham Workshop. Mm. <laughs> but you know, but their the Manchester accents in Corrie are just so over exaggerated. It's just hilarious <laughs> because we don't speak like that. <laughs> Um, it's crazy. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if EastEnders is shot in Cardiff. I don't know. <laughs> it's not that one up. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, that's about it for this week, I think. It's now time for our interview with Suicide Squad's again, Sean Wan. He's talking about the big bad Incubus, the older brother to the Enchantress. So that's that's it for now. It's now time for the interview. <laughs> I'd like to uh, introduce a very special guest to the show uh, this week. Um, he's uh, made, a, made a big breakout role in recent weeks in the uh, film Suicide Squad, in which he plays the uh, god Incubus, the um, brother of Kara um, Danavine's um, Enchantress character. Welcome to the show. Um, uh, and name Shang Wan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. 
Oh, it's, it's great having you on. I've been looking forward to you know speaking to you for uh, for about a month now since uh, since since Hongi and the guys at the uh, at the PR firm were so like uh, you know they've been bigging you up to me for a whole month. So this is really good. This is really great. Awesome. It's good to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh, I, I guess the uh, I guess the first question I, I like to ask of um, of most uh, actors and performers I, I have have on on the uh, podcast is uh, how did you actually get into acting? Because I know you've done stunt work as well. Was it actually through stunt work? No, I've been acting since high school, uh, but uh, I kind of drifted away in college. I was studying to be a police officer, um, and uh, I was in college, and I saw this uh, audition sign, like auditions for this movie and blah, blah, blah. So I kind of jumped in because it was calling me. Uh, And, you know, sometimes just the luck of the beginner. I got the part. Luck, but not not exactly luck, because I got the part. Moved to Vancouver, found an agent, started auditioning, and the movie was supposed. It was a big budget movie. Was supposed to happen like a year from that moment, and it never happened. But oh, just wow. because of that first audition, I moved. Uh, started taking acting acting classes, uh, getting uh, getting in rooms and auditioning. And a while later, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So that audition made me realize that my dreams were actually possible. So that's how I got in. And then I got into stunt work, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's uh, that's how it started. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a musician myself, and it's my dream to actually uh, actually play in front of an audience. And I did that for the first time uh, back in back in March of uh, of this year. Wait, wait. So your dream was to be a musician. You did it for the first time back in March. Yep. This year, that's crazy. How was it? Did did, did you like piss your pants or something? Um, I was very nervous before going on, but once I once I was up there and playing playing guitar because it was a new guitar piece I wrote. I've only been playing guitar for about four years now, and this is the first time played in front of an audience. I, I was a bit nervous beforehand, but once I once I got up there and started playing, I was fine. Uh, but I, I, I've also got an acting background as well because um, I, um, I I actually studied theatre and performing arts uh, back in back in the nineties. Oh wow! So, so. so uh, are you still are you still acting? Uh, no, I, I, I kind of, I kind of sort of like drifted off and went into writing. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm very creative. I sort of like I'm, I'm very creative and that's such a very that. unfocused. <laughs> 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 you write, you act, you play instruments, like, and you're, and you're a journalist. That's crazy. And I can't, I can't dance. That's the only thing I can't do. I'm, I'm, I'm a lousy dancer, so. <laughs> <laughs> Close your eyes. Act like nobody's watching. <laughs> Okay, well, I've been looking through your acting credits, and you know it looks like you've done quite quite a few few things um, that that we could call fantasy and comic book. Um, are you actually drawn to those kind of projects as as, as a person? Is 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 do you, do you actually because you've been done quite a few comic book things um, as well as fantasy roles? Yeah, I'm not drawn to them as an actor. Something I was always interested in. I uh, I read a lot of X Men as a kid. Love Blade. 
if I could do one movie, uh, it would be the prequel of Blade, the, the, the Blade that are already out. I'd love to do a prequel mm -hmm. um, or a, or a sequel, but a prequel would be very interesting. But like, I'm very, I'm I'm a fan, but it's not. I was never, I'm never looking to do these types of projects. It's just I think because of my casting, it just uh, I attract them. I really think it just happens. Cool. Well, your big breakout role of of, of this moment is of Incubus. Um, yes. As we as we said at the top of the interview, from the uh, latest DC Universe movie, Suicide Squad, uh, were you at all familiar with Suicide Squad comics before taking on the role? Uh, I knew about it. Uh, I never read them. I started reading them after I uh, after my second audition uh, mm -hmm. with David Ayer. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I knew the the story and everything, but I wasn't familiar with them. Like uh, I didn't know Harley Quinn was like uh, one of the most important Quinn stuff, and so I got familiar with it after. Mm -hmm. um, well, having had the opportunity to read some of the comics, what what did you actually think of them? Because I I saw I've been reading them so I for since the nineties. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Suicide Squad. Like, when I started reading, I loved it. Like from the get go, it's uh, when you get villains to fight other villains, uh, better villains. It's uh, you in for a dark story, which is my kind of story. I love it. Mm -hmm. I I actually uh, when when I first read it, it kind of put me in mind of the um, of the old uh, Dirty Dozen movies, but with superhero villains. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Isn't it a, they call it a half dozen bad guys or something like that? Like, yeah, there's a thing going on right now. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. um, the film is actually packed with some really big name talents, uh, such as Viola Davis, Will Smith, and uh, obviously Margot Robbie, who, who, in my opinion, totally rocked it as Harley Quinn. Uh, so good. How, how did you find the experience of working with these guys? Uh, it was amazing. Like, uh, Will Smith, first of all, uh, was one of, uh, like, an example for me growing up watching Freshmen of Bel Air. Uh, had a huge impact on my life. Uh, I like, like I told him on set, I couldn't, I wouldn't speak English if it wasn't for him. Like, uh, I'm from Haiti, I'm Haitian. Uh, I, my mom still doesn't really speak English till this day. Uh, and uh, I had to watch TV uh, in high school to learn English. And yes, yeah, so my life would not have been the same. I don't think I would be talking to you right now if it wasn't for Will Smith. So working with them was kind of a crazy experience. Cool. Yeah, and you know, I, I think he, I think he uh, was pretty solid as, as Deadshot in the movie. And um, I, I've seen quite a few of his films. Um, I don't think he's made many films and done much TV stuff that I've that I've not liked. Yes, yes. You know, he's he's a pretty solid, reliable actor. I think. And, like, and you know what? He's an actor's actor. Like you know, first when he started Fresh Prince, he wasn't he wasn't an actor, and he knew that. And he wasn't an actor for the ten years after that because uh, it takes time. The craft takes times. And, and you know what? He's working on his craft. Like, he was never the most talented actor, but he he's so focused on, on craft that he became one of the best actors, yes. Because he's an, he's an artist, you know? Yep. Um, in and working with these people, like, like Margot Robbie, like, they're my uh, Cara Delevingne, uh, all, all of them were really nice. Viola Davis, there was a fun tent on set. Uh, that Joel and Will Smith, like, I think they uh, paid for it. Uh, they would, like, bat basketball darts, uh, pool, uh, chest, 
that, uh, ping pong, uh, big screen TVs was ridiculous. It was so much fun hanging out with you guys. Cool. Um, I believe uh, you got to watch yourself with uh, Cara Delevingne. She's a bit of a practical joker. Uh, did she get to play any practical jokes on the set? Or? No, she's just a lot of fun. Like uh, I remember, like my first impression of Cara, we had a chemistry meeting. Uh, to see if we were were good together, and she just you know uh, I'm a little you know uh, stressed. I'm meeting David Ayer and Kara, where only the three of us. I'm waiting for them, and she storms in the room. She's just like busting moves, like <laughs> dancing, and uh, like she didn't say hello yet. I'm like okay, so let's boogie, I guess. <laughs> I start start dancing too. She's she's cool. She's a uh, uh, she's a tornado. Mm, bit of a live wire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. In in the film, you play the role of a businessman for a very, very brief period before you become the god Incubus. Uh, was this actually the first time you've, at, you've had to act in terms of playing a CG character? Uh, no, I've done uh, a CG character, yes. Yes, uh, I've done mocap before and I've been in these, uh, I've been scanned for the movies when I get killed, like Blade Trinity, I get killed as a... So we had to be scans and scans and stuff, but to that extent, like Evangelist, we did scans of scan after another after another, uh, uh, like thousands of cameras, uh, mocap. Uh, it's things I can't really. I'm not tech savvy, so I can't really tell you what we did. But they tell me I, I, I'm in rooms with cameras, and they tell me like only Andrea, Angelina Jolie and Tom Cruise are sat on this chair. Blah blah blah. Uh, so, I mean, great. It makes me really feel important, but I still don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, the extent of what we did on Suicide Squad, no, never. But it was great because I got to do my scenes again and again and again on different cameras, but I really don't know, like, which one it actually ended up on film. Mm-hmm. But I, I, will, I will know it soon. Yeah, I will, even when I see the film, I won't because they probably mix, mix and match them depending on what shot it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they will do. I mean, you know, I've got, I've got to tell you, it looks really good, especially the, uh, the the big battle that you guys have at the end of the movie. That's, yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I mean, one of the more, one one of the movie's set pieces, and I feel a bit guilty because I might be spoiling a little bit bit, bit, bit for you here. Is <laughs> is well, not really because you've actually done the script, right? <laughs> so. But there's, there's this big scene where you're toughing it out with Jay Hernandez's Diablo, and uh, you know how how much technical stunt work went into into that into the fight choreography for for all of that because it just looked absolutely amazing. Oh, we had a lot. Uh, we had a great team of stunt people, but personally, um, the EA characters, the all black characters that were like uh, had, had eyes all over their body. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know the ones you're talking um, about. Well, the, so the eyes of, of the adversary. Like, uh, so I got to play these characters because I'm a stunt performer in Canada, and uh, they asked me if I want to be part of it. So I got to play Incubus and the EA characters. But when it comes to the actual scene of Incubus fighting. Well, I had a stunt double who was like seven feet tall who did all this because they wanted uh, Incubus is like it's ten feet tall. So for the actual choreography, they um, I have to give props where props is due. It was uh, they doubled me for a really tall stunt performer where they could uh, so they could have a, a taller reference. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's still not cool. It does really look really cool because you know I've been a stunt uh, stunt performer for a long time. I hate when actors go, oh, I did all my own, own stunts. 
You know, I, I understand performer. I, I am more than able to do all my guns, but sometimes as an actor, you're not able to for uh, insurance purposes. For, for the fact that I'm not seven feet tall for different reasons. Well, the actor is rarely doing his own stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go, going through your IMDb again, I noticed that you were you, you actually had a role to play in the uh, Star series Spartacus, uh, which I was also a huge fan of. Uh, when, when you when you actually did that show, were you actually... Spartacus. Yeah, were you actually required to go through all the all the boot camp training that the that the other people did? Yes, that was madness. That was crazy. Flew us, uh, they flew us from Canada to New Zealand. We get there, <laughs> all we did is work out. Eight hours a day. If we were not on set, we were lifting our body up in the air and doing chin-ups. It was ridiculous. I never got so ripped in my life. And I was <laughs> eating like <laughs> I was eating chips every day, and I had an eight pack. It was ridiculous. Mm, yeah, I I I, I um, heard about that because um, you know obviously running running the website we we actually uh, got to I was actually in, sat in on quite a few of the uh, conference calls that stars did for that show and uh, they talk about the horrendous workout regimes that you guys went through. Yeah, that was crazy, 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 but uh, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got in great shape. Uh, it was a great experience. Great fighters, great stunt team. Uh, improved my skill a lot, and uh, it, you know when you do something eight hours a day for a couple months, you get better at it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but yeah, that was that was, a, that was an epic series. Um, yeah, I love I love my experience on there. And do, do we, you know what what role did you play in that? Was you, you, you because um, was you one of the main guys, or was you sort of like? It was blood and sand, so I was. Uh, they needed some stunt performers for a big scene when uh, Spartacus uh, meets up with uh, Gannicus and they fight in the arena. I don't know if you uh, remember that scene. Yeah. And uh, they uh, and then uh, I sh- yeah and uh, Spartacus is uh, actually gets in as a Roman soldier and fights ever. Yeah, it's a big epic scene before the Coliseum, uh, before the whole thing falls down. Uh, because I don't remember exactly Coliseum. I don't exactly I remember the scene, but then the whole thing caught on fire, and they needed stunt performers for that scene, and they flew me for that, and um, I was just uh, I was just one of the fighters in the arena. Um, I'm I'm not sure how how familiar you are with comics. Um, before before we started recording, you talked about um, loving the X Men um, as as a kid. Um, but if you were actually given the chance to play another comic book role in future, what role would you like it to be? Uh, yeah, I think it, it, have, it would have to be Blade. A prequel to Blade or a sequel. Uh, Blade done right uh, by the right director. I would love to play a kind of put that character to life to give it, uh, you know, only Wesley Snipes, I think, played him. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's time for another actor to have a shot at it. And I would love it, that actor to be me. Yeah, I I, th- I think you're probably right there because um, when the last Blade movie, Trinity, was on like way back in what two thousand three or four, yeah, something like that. I worked so, on it. Uh, yeah, so I think I think enough times passed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too. You know, they they do Spider Man every year, so why not Blade? You know. Yeah, you know, just do new Blade every ten years. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you know, let's let's do three of them. I'm ready. Yep. You know, we'll, we'll start we'll start lobbying for you to to be on Blade. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> the word out there. Yep. <laughs> I got the man to 
This guy played a played a kick-ass roll card Incubus. You got you got a casting for Blade. He was too big for Thank Incubus. You. He's got to be Blade. <laughs> Thank you. Let's put the word out there. You know. Thank you. <laughs> you know, he 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 was so he was so he was so tall as Incubus. They had to cast a shorter shorter stuntman to do the stunts. <laughs> Um, okay um, we we touched on this uh, before before we started recording uh, was the um, the movie critics have been pretty savage in their assessment of the film I saw it last night and I don't think the morning the movie has taken you know was really called for Um, what if anything would you say to fans that may have been turned off by the savage morning that these critics have actually given Suicide Squad well, you know what? It's the first time I actually maybe it's because uh, I'm uh, I'm in the, in the actual movie, but it's the first time I see like the fans don't agree with the critics. Uh, usually, a movie sucks. Uh, kind of people usually agree on how much the thing sucks. <laughs> but this movie, uh, all I can hear from the fans is that it's great and they love it, and the critics don't. And I haven't seen it yet. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that the critics don't love it, uh, but you know what? We do it for the fans. Um, They love it. I hope I'll love it. Uh, I love David Ayer's work, so uh, I'm sold to it. I'm I'm in the movie, so I'm biased. But, uh, yeah, David Ayer is a great director. The fans love it, so that's where we're at. uh, That's a pretty good situation. Mm -hmm. Well, well, for my money, it's the best best DC movie uh, that that, that one has put out in recent years. Because, as I was saying uh, before we we started recording this, I've never been a big, not been a big fan of the uh, Superman stuff that they've done. But... But how was Batman though? Did you like Batman? Um, I like the uh, I like the Christopher Nolan Batman series, um, and I also like the uh, Ben Affleck Batman in in in, in Batman versus Superman, and uh, yeah. I really enjoyed, enjoyed Wonder Woman. It's just that I think that the problem is uh, the for me the Superman character lacks a bit of humour. They, they kind of need to go a little bit lighter with Superman. And let Batman yes, do the dark, darkness. I heard you know. that too, you're right. You know, and that, yeah, uh, I heard the same thing. Like, he's always angry, but yeah, yeah I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that, that's, that, that's basically just my problem with, with the new Superman. They need, they need, need to lighten it up because Superman isn't Batman. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. It's true. I actually worked with uh, Henry Cavill. Uh, we did Immortals here. Yeah. As uh, part of the stunt team, and I had a. Uh, I was, I had a part in the, in the Immortals. Uh, really nice guy. We uh, had a few drinks. Uh, and then he went on and did Superman. So uh, I will call him and let him know what you said. <laughs> I, I don't think it's I don't think it's Henry's fault though. I think it's actually the writing because I, I see yes. I, I seen him in Man from Uncle and he was actually funnier. He was actually more humorous in Man from Uncle than he was in Superman. So I think it's something so to do with writing. Yeah, so it's a direct, it's a, a choice of the directing thing, probably. Mm, may, maybe. Um, and a final question for you is: uh, Do you have any future roles that that you can talk about, or, or is it, or, or is it all sort of like busy with the Suicide Squad uh, publicity and and everything right now? Uh, right now, this week is all about Suicide Squad. I'm working on another project. Unfortunately, I can't talk about it. Uh, super top secret. 
Uh, I mean, that's how they make you feel about, about it. But a uh, different kind of movie. Uh, really good actors. Uh, in uh, Obviously, amazing actors when we're in Suicide Squad, but different kind of movie. Like, not a superhero movie. Very, a lot more serious, if I could say, for lack of a better word. But, um, yeah, uh, I can't talk about it, unfortunately, right, unfortunately, right now. Okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll keep my eye out on, on Twitter for when you can talk about it. And, uh, All right. Because yeah, um, I, I, I kind of watch serious films as well as superhero films. I, I'm, I'm sort of just a big film guy, you know, so... The, cool, that, that means we'll, we'll be talking soon again. <laughs> um, quite, quite possibly, you know, we'd, 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 ha- we'd probably end up harking back and may- maybe you can tell me if you, I know how much you like Suicide Squad, you know, when, once you've actually seen it. So, yes, I will see this uh, before the end of the week, for sure. Because it must be weird talking to someone about a film that you've been in, but you've not seen it yet. <laughs> that must be strange. No, no. no. <laughs> so I was bummed out because uh, I, like, I, I had the article to the premiere on and I really had to be on set. It was too bad, but I like... Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Elaine, thanks very much for your time. It's been really great speaking with you. And um, Thanks so much. Uh, thanks for your time. I uh, can't wait to hear it and see uh, the interview. Okay, well, very very best of luck with uh, Suicide Squad and the, 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 the other film that you're working on. And um, I'll keep my fingers crossed that day that, that the uh, casting gods... Uh, consider you for the role of a blade in a, in a blade reading. All right, I'm working on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Talk soon. See you. Right. Bye. Hey, everybody. This is Nick Tarabay, uh, Asher, and uh, Spartacus got to the arena, Spartacus Blood and Sand. And uh, I'm here at SFP now. Keep listening, and thank you so much. Okay, well, that's about all we have time for this week. Um, in our next show, we have an interview coming up with uh, Daniel Corey, uh, the comics writer behind Moriarty, the comic book. And, you know, we have a really good discussion about uh, virtual reality, his plans for the new Moriarty comic, and, uh, and you know, lots of stuff. So it's actually worth hanging around for and having a listen to, because it's a, you know, that Daniel's a really interesting guy. He's got a lot of good things to say. So hope you're tuning for that. But until then, that, that, that's all for this week, folks. Uh, but don't forget, we also have uh, plenty of other shows on, on this network. We've got Genretainment, um, as well as SFP Now. And you can always check out our archive if you go to scifipulseradio.com and you can catch um, all our past episodes there. Uh, But that's all for this week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.